Lynn Hiles Ministries presents That You Might Have Life. He said he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. So Jesus came that we might have life. The Bible said in him was life, the life was the light of men. The more light you have, the more life you're going to have. So you can have peace was on me. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. He took your punishment so you could get his peace. He took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. All around the country and around the world, people just like you are awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. What God wanted to do was release the kingdom of God in your life until the joy and the peace and the righteousness of the Holy Ghost would so fill your life. I don't want to just make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I, I trust that you have been tuning in every week because we are continuing to unfold a series uh, where we're, we're dealing with the book of Revelation. At least we're going to, in a few segments, talk about the seven churches that were in Asia. Uh, I have on the set with me again this week my oldest son, Jeremy. He was with me for the last uh, four weeks. We've had such response to these programs that uh, we decided to come back and shoot some more. Uh, you're going to see a good bit of him anyway as the years go by as we're able to stay on television uh, because this is my oldest son, and uh, he pastors a great church in Winchester, Virginia, and they meet in the Woodsman of the World building there in Winchester, Virginia, on Monday nights, you can go to their website, and then we'll have a, we'll have a website on uh, the screen in just a little while, or you can go to ours and get information. Uh, but to find out where they meet, but they meet on Monday nights, and uh, I believe you'd be blessed if you're within an, anywhere of an hour of Winchester, Virginia. That's in the northwestern part of Virginia, and you would be blessed to go by their church. It's good to have you on the program again with me, Jeremy. It's always a great honor to have you on with me. Good to be here. Uh, I want to just come back and introduce some things before uh, Jeremy jumps in for a moment. Uh, uh, one of the things I want to share with you is that I believe the book of Revelation had some relevance to the first century church. Matter of fact, it had a lot of relevance to the first century church. And the reason I say that is because it was written to, and we forget this so many times when we're looking at the book of Revelation, it was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. A lot of times we can do a lot of different things or people have taken a lot of different ways of looking at these seven churches at maybe seven different church ages or whatever. That's their prerogative. We're really not here to fight what anybody else views or sees. We're really not combative about what we believe. We simply put it out there and let you make the decision whether it witnesses to your spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church and He's able to communicate to you what is truth. And one thing I am absolutely certain of, Jeremy, is that there's nobody I've met, including me, that knows it all or has all the pieces together on the book of Revelation. Yep. I mean, to me, this is such a powerful, incredible, unfolding book that I, I would be amiss if I tried to act like I was some supreme authority on this book. I do believe God has given us some insight into this. This is one of the books that we've taught for many years. It's probably our number one requested set of material. And many of the things that we're sharing are in my second book titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And there'll be something on the screen where you can order that in a few moments. But what I, want to, what I want to address in this segment is that I believe the book of Revelation is, is, a, is a covenantal book. In other words, we say, what do you mean by that? I believe that the, the book of Revelation is a pivotal, uh, a pivotal book because what's happening is the church is being uh, told by the Spirit of the Lord 
to repent of some things. Now, what I think again about repentance, we did a series back, uh, you know, right before we started this, this segment on Revelation where John the Baptist came on the scene and he was talking about repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what we begin to share is that the word repent there does not necessarily mean you need to get saved every time you turn around, but it does mean you need to change the way you think. It's the Greek word metanoia. And that's not just to sinners. That's to the churches because he says it several times to the church here yep. in the book of Revelation is that you need to change the way you think. Uh, when he writes this book, he's writing to the seven churches, and he says, I am he which was, which is, and which is to come. But he declares to them in the very first chapter of this book that there are some things which are about to shortly come to pass. These churches that were in Asia were probably the most pivotal churches in human history because they are the ones that are making a transition out of an old covenant mentality and into the new covenant. And the, the word church itself from a Greek word ecclesia, which means to be called out. This time the church is not being called out of a physical bondage of Egypt. It is being called out of a spiritual bondage of Egypt. I don't know if we shared before or not in prior segments, but Revelation the 11th chapter says that it says in Revelation that the dead bodies of the two witnesses would lie in the street of the city which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And the thing that caught my attention was it said where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in physical Sodom, nor was He crucified in Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. And you say, well, what's it? I mean, to me that's a powerful concept. Because what that says to me is that the Lord equates Sodom and Egypt with that physical Jerusalem that in 70 AD was about to pass off the scene. It was about to be replaced with a new Jerusalem, so to speak. An old temple was about to fade and a new temple was about to come on the scene. An old heaven and an old earth was about to pass away and a new heaven and a new earth was about to come on the scene. An old man was about to come and a new man was about to come on the scene. Uh, a new covenant, uh, uh, everything about it was being brand new. But uh, uh, when I think about uh, the term uh, church, what, what I'm thinking is they were called out then the first usage of the word church was when they were called out of Egypt and they were called the church in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. But in, uh, so when I'm thinking about the, 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 the terminology church here, and uh, one of the things I guess I, I want to say about it as well is that uh, the church was being called out, but this time they were being called out not of a uh, physical bondage, but out of a spiritual bondage. Mm -hmm. They were being delivered from the tyranny and slavery of law because under the law you were a servant and a slave. In the new covenant you're a son. Mm -hmm. And so they're being called out, you know, from a different dimension. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah meets with Jesus, he says to him, uh, he spoke to him concerning his decease. So, uh, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that Jesus... Uh, the, the, the word deceased there, let me just say this, the word deceased there is the Greek word exodus. So here we have the leader of the first exodus, Moses, talking to the real leader of the real exodus, Jesus. And he's literally talking to him of his decease. And what he's saying is, hey, your death is what's going to deliver them from this religious bondage. Yep. And so they're about to transition. And everything about these churches is about to be brought out of a, out of a spiritual bondage and into the kingdom of God. And you know, I, I know I'm doing a lot of talking to introduce this, but uh, you know, the fourth chapter says, after this I looked and behold, a door was open and I saw a throne. Mm -hmm. So what follows on the heels of repentance 
is a throne and a rainbow. That's the new covenant and the kingdom in operation. And you know, there's a lot of people that say like after the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, the church is never mentioned. So somewhere between uh, chapter three and chapter four, the church was taken out. Uh, I, I would think such an important event, God would have spoken a lot more clear about that. But what I simply think it means and the reason the church is never mentioned after the third chapter is not because they left. It's because they are no longer coming out. Now they've been brought in. Mm -hmm. So they're not just coming out of the wilderness. They've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Yeah. And I believe that's the transition of these churches. Yeah. It, it, it's good to have you on the program. I'll let you jump in there. We got so much we could talk about over the next couple of weeks. I'll let you jump in where you can there. It's good to be here again. Uh, I always appreciate being here on the program with you. You know, I, I, this is a, uh, I, I've been several months teaching this book uh, myself, and it's still an ongoing uh, teaching that I'm doing currently at our local body. Uh, but I taught these seven churches and that six out of the seven churches, there is something that the, uh, the Lord would say, I need you to repent or to change your mind about. And one of the things I've been approaching that in the same way that you just said, and I thought you said, well, uh, was about changing from under the old covenant, uh, we were slaves to the law. Yeah. Under the new covenant, we're sons. And so one of the things I believe the Lord is wanting these churches to change their mind, and even us today is still a, a, a mind yeah. change that we're changing our minds. That's how it's still relevant to us That's today. Why it's still relevant is that we're changing our minds from uh, being slaves to the law to beginning to think as sons. Yeah. Jesus, when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus came to show us, to, he came one to reveal the Father and to show what a son would, would act like if he was on the earth. Uh, the first Adam... Uh, he didn't do very well showing what a son was because he didn't he didn't understand his identity. Right. The very the very thing that deceived Adam was that when the serpent came to him and says, "If you be, uh, did God really say, uh, not to eat of this tree? Because if you eat of it, you're going to be like him." The truth of the matter was, Adam was already created in his image and likeness. Jesus comes on the on the scene as a restorer. He begins to restore things and redeem it back to the way it was, put it back in the exact place that it started out, to put it back in that rest and put it back in that garden to begin to bring many sons into glory. And so uh, in order for us to begin to do what Jesus did, because I believe that it, what, what Jesus did in his earth walk of healing the blind, uh, raising dead, uh, causing lame to walk was exact things that we as sons are to be doing in these days. Yep. But the reason why we're not doing the things that Jesus did is because we're still not convinced of our identity as sons. And that's where the mind change comes. That's what the revealing uh, of this book is. It's a revealing of Christ in you. Yep. Uh, it, this book was written to seven churches. I want you to write to these seven churches. Well, it doesn't stop with chapter 3. It goes all the way to, to the end of this book. It's still a continual letter to these seven churches. Mm -hmm. Everything that's written is written to them to reveal Christ in them, to reveal who they are, their identity as sons. The biggest thing that is missing, I believe, in the church today is a true identity of who they are, whose they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think somebody said, one, you know, the biggest, uh, one of the first things the first church dealt with in Acts was that... Uh, there was a complaint about that the widows and orphans were not being serviced. Mm -hmm. And that's still, a, that's still the mentality of the church today. We still have a widow and orphan mentality in the church. We don't know that we're married to Christ and we don't know that we are sons of God. Uh, and when you get to the end of this book, you find that there's a bride that's, that's adorned. She's coming down out of heaven. Uh, so it shows that you have become married to Christ. You're not a widow any longer. Yeah. Uh, you've been married. That to, solves the widow problem. That solves the widow problem. And, and you begin to understand 
understand your identity as a son, and that solves your orphan problem because you have be, you have been you have received the adoption of sons. Yeah. Whereby the apostle Paul says you can cry, Abba, Father. You yeah. can call him Daddy. Yeah. And therefore, if that's truly our identity, what it begins to unlock in us as we begin as this is revealed, it will unlock the power of Christ that's in us. Under the first church in the first Exodus that you talked about, when they came out of the bondage of Egypt, God gave them the pattern of the tabernacle. And the, there were certain pieces of furniture and things that they were to make. And, 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 and those pieces of furniture and those things in that tabernacle reflected something of who Christ was and something of the redemptive work, but it was still in shadow. But under the new covenant, when, when this book is written, you're going to see many of those same types of furniture. You're going to find that there's a temple, there's a... There, there is a uh, tabernacle that's being built here, but it's not being built uh, as a physical uh, with rock, stone, gold, and silver. It's being built in the temple where uh, you are. That, that The scriptures declare, know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the very place that Christ is seated and throned and he rules and reigns. Uh, the repentance that John said. John says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm -hmm. Well, Christ makes it even clearer and says, repent for the kingdom of God is within you. Mm -hmm. Change your mind and realize that the kingdom of God is within you. And the way that the world's going to see it is when you unleash it from out inside of you and begin to manifest it in the earth. The groan of creation is that they're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of mm -hmm. God. They're waiting for it to dawn on us that this is what's true. And so as you look at this book, you begin to unfold this book. It's a revelation of Christ, and it's a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And You, you know, I, I think that uh, what, what really kind of confirms that, and I don't know whether we dealt with this before in a prior segment or not, but it says in the very first chapter uh, that when he gives this multifaceted description, his head and his hair, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, or verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was one like the Son of Man. Man. Girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And it describes him, his head and his hair white like wool, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like undefined brass as if they burned in a furnace. And, and it gives this multifaceted uh, uh, you know, description of him. Yep. And then it turns around, you know, and, and it's really talking about this multifaceted, I mean, powerful imagery here. Uh, eyes like a flame of fire, you know, feet like fine brasses if they burned in a furnace. And, uh, and then he turns around and said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right, and he laid his right hand on me saying, I, unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. Mm -hmm. And I am he that lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive. Uh, forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven angels or pastors yep. of the seven churches, and the seven golden candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. Now what's powerful to me about this imagery is he tells you there's this multifaceted description of Christ and then it tells you that everything that you just read about is walking in the midst of, of the seven, seven golden candlesticks. And then he makes it as clear as he can, as far as I'm convinced, mm -hmm. 
And he says the seven golden candlesticks, which you saw, are the seven churches. Yep. So it's really a revelation of Christ in the church yep. and through the church so that a revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. And what's amazing to me is as we go down into each one of these churches is he will never ask them to change anything until he first reveals some aspect of this description to these churches that will be will enable them to be able to make the transition and make the repentance. Yep. In other words, he'll reveal some aspect. I'm the one with the seven stars in my right hand. Yep. And so, you know, I love what you're saying there. He yep. He's the one that's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Yep. I think that one of the things that's very powerful too is the first church that he dealt, deals with here is the church of Ephesus. Yep. And he says, you know, you you have a mentality that you are poor. But he said, but you know, no, you're not. You are rich. No, that's the second church. That's oh, the, the church second, of Smyrna. Excuse yeah. me, I'm the You jumped ahead of me. Well, I was reading so yeah, much yeah, that yeah. we got. Uh, but the the second church is that he says, you know, you no, you're not. You you think you're poor, but you're rich. Mm-hmm. And the whole mentality, you know, and I think that look, we we see that a lot in the church today, as we've been taught a mentality that. We're just sinners saved by grace. Oh, woe is me. I'm just holding on until, you know, one day I just hope that God will love me enough to accept me. Yeah. And, and I believe that's something that the Christ is even saying to us today. The repentance that we're having, the mind Absolutely. change is that we change our minds from thoughts of saying, I'm not, I'm not worthy of him to a mindset that says that, that he, he made us worthy. What he did on the cross was enough to make me worthy yep. and that, that I'm not poor anymore. I've been made rich by by, uh, the acceptance of who he is in me. And what that will do when I change my mind to that, to begin to stop thinking of I'm just a sinner saved by grace, do I begin to change my mind to I am the righteousness of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Begin to change my mind to that. It will empower me to begin to think like a son. Everything that he does, everything that he says to these seven churches of repentance is to begin to change their mind to think as sons, to begin to operate as sons in the yep. earth. What Jesus, when Jesus would walk down the street and say to a man, uh, stretch forth your hand, what Jesus did in doing that of saying stretch forth your hand is he was putting something back together. He was putting something uh, that, was, that was misplaced in the earth and began to see it from a heaven. In other words, what Jesus did is Jesus didn't see the problem. Jesus saw the solution. Yes, sir. Jesus didn't see what was in the earth. He saw what was true in heaven. That's why when he taught his disciples to pray, he says, you pray as it is in heaven, so let it be in earth. Yep. And so that's what Jesus did. Every time Jesus would heal something, it's because he saw it already done in heaven. So when he said to a man, stretch forth your hand, he already, Jesus didn't doubt that that man was going to stretch forth his hands because Jesus already saw it done in heaven. And so that man had no choice, but when he stretched forth his hand, it'd be put back together because that's how the Father created it. The Father didn't create it broken. The Father made it whole. What made it broken was Adam's uh, misidentity of who he was made everything broken. It made it withered. It made it dead. It made it blind. It made it lame. But when Jesus came back, when Jesus came on the scene, he put things back as it was in in the garden and put it back in the way it is in heaven. And he he would say to a dead man, come forth, raised from the dead. Or he would say to a man that was lame, rise, take up your bed and walk because Jesus didn't see it as a broken state in the earth. He saw things from a heavenly perspective and he saw it as a son. And he spoke as, uh, with yep. the authority of a son. 
And that's what a revelation of Jesus will do for us, yep. is it will change our mind where we stop seeing things as how bad it is in the earth and start seeing things as it's already finished in heaven, and we'll begin to put things back together like the Father created it. I think that's exactly what he's saying. And you know, really what you're just all over what I had in my heart anyway, but if you go to the second chapter where he deals with one of the first churches, he said, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, these things saith he that holds the seven stars, watch this, in his right hand. Mm -hmm who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and hast found them to be liars and hast borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, that from, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I can see we're going to need more than uh, <laughs> even just one segment just on this first church. But the thing that really, while you were talking, I was thinking about even before we came on was... Uh, the first church is the church at Ephesus. Yeah. And he says to them, uh, he reveals himself as the one who has the seven stars in his right hand. Yeah. Now, when I think about the hand, I'm thinking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm thinking about fivefold ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about that when you were talking about the man with the withered hand, I actually had marked in my Bible before we came on here because I wanted to talk just a little bit about this, this uh, hand because the thing that he's doing here at the church at Ephesus is he is trying them that say they're apostles and they're not. Yep. They're liars because they've taught works and labor, labor and works, works and labor, and you did it for my name's sake. Yep. See, a real apostle is not just somebody who's got it on their business card. Or somebody that goes around, you know, to me, I think what we've seen with the the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, as many times we've seen the backhand or the balled up fist mm -hmm. when we need to see a hand that's outstretched. But like you said in Mark chapter 3, he said he entered the synagogue and there was a man there with, which had a withered hand. That to me is the condition of fivefold ministry if they are not flowing uh, from the posture of rest. But watch this. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Yeah. So this withered, this man with the withered hand is about to be healed on the Sabbath day. This book of Revelation, John comes and says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is either the Sabbath day or the day of atonement, depending on how you, you look at that. But even if it, either one of them are symbolizing the same thing because the Sabbath is rest, the day of atonement is multiples of Sabbaths. Yep. And so what happens is, that, you know, because the Day of Atonement was in the seventh month. So what's happening is everything in this book of Revelation, I get excited, mm -hmm. is flowing from the posture of rest. It's flowing from the Sabbath day. It's flowing from the revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, even they asked, they asked, uh, Jesus, Jesus asked those scribes and Pharisees when he got ready to heal this man with a withered hand, he says, is it better, is it better to do good Yep. Or to do, or, or to uh, destroy, or to kill yep. on the Sabbath day, and you know one of the things we have done is that's really what we have done is we have, uh, we have been more apt to kill people with the word yep. than we have been to do good uh, to people. Yeah, uh, we're we're more worried about uh, you know. Uh, 
how bad people are and, 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 and all the things God would be disgusted about them rather than doing good to something and begin to, uh, be to do all things unto edification to build them up into a place where they begin to change their mind about their identity. If you, all, if, if, if you took a child and all you ever said to them is how bad they were, how they'll never amount to anything, how uh, disgusted you were with them all the time, what you would do is you would shut down that child where they would never amount to anything because they would say, you know, no matter how, no matter how hard I'll try, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never be anything. I'll yep. never uh, make my my father proud. But if you begin to encourage that child, you you know, you taught uh, a long time ago on a, a message called uh, the approval of a father will empower a son. Mm -hmm. And what you begin to do is you begin to edify. Yeah. Your sons, you know, and you've you've done that in your your own lives for for me and Jason of always building us up and telling us how proud you were and and the things that that uh, uh, encouraged us to be what we are and what that did was empower us that for us we always saw the sky as the limit for us you know that it was all we 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 could you know no matter what we did if we became uh, you know if we if we uh, dug ditches for a living you know you were just as proud of us if we became this, the the president of the United States it was not. You're, you, we always knew we had your approval and we had uh, your love for us. And But what that did was encourage us to, to become more and more because we knew we had your approval. And I believe that's what, what we've done in the church is we have beat people up with a mentality that says, God's mad at you, God don't love you, God's upset at you, and you'll never amount to anything because you're just a, 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 a hog returning to its wallow, you know, a dog yep. that returns to its vomit and all those things. And yep. what we've done is shut down people. Yep. We've killed them on the Sabbath day. Rather than when we begin to unleash and heal a withered hand, what it does is begin to lift people up to a place that they can become the full potential of, of the sons of God that they were meant to be. Yep, and instead of being the balled up, fisted, pounded hand, it's the hand extended. And what the Lord says here in Mark's gospel is He simply says right on the heels, you just, you just said this when He said to the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And then He said to him, uh, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when He looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, He saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And He stretched it out, and His hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against how they might destroy Him. So, you know, I believe one of the things that, that the Lord is saying here, as we, and we, it's amazing how fast time goes by. He's saying, I believe, to this first church, you need to change your mind. Yeah. And what you need to change your mind about is going to come as what's going to produce the change of thinking is going to be when there's an adjustment of these ministers that are in his hand. Because the revelation he's giving to this church is a revelation of himself as being the one who has the seven stars in his right hand. So if these stars or these pastors, these messengers are not in the hand, they are not valid at all. If they are not coming from the posture of an outstretched hand. And I think it's incredible that in the first chapter when John fell down at his feet like a dead man, yeah. he laid this hand on him. And I believe that's more, and I, I, could, I understand the Lord laying his hand on us, but see, I believe there's a hand that God's about to lay on the church that's unlike any other hand that we've ever seen before. And it's going to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are not coming at this thing from a legalistic, old covenant, browbeat, backhanded, ball up the fist, manipulate, control God's people attitude. It's going to be from somebody standing up on a Sabbath day and stretching their hand out 
in a way that reaches out to humanity and lays it on them and so that they stand on their feet hallelujah, as being full of the power of resurrection and a a hand that edifies. We're going to deal with this in the next segment. Uh, But a hand that is laid on them to raise them up to their potential, to their true identity. That's what real apostles do. False apostles taught them works and labors, but real apostles are coming to show them the rest of the Sabbath day and what flows from that. We're about to run out of time, but I would like for you to take a moment to write to us. Uh, Hit us on Facebook. Let us know whether or not you're enjoying these segments. We're going to continue to share along this line. If you'll tune in every week, take a moment to call the number on the screen and so seated in the ministry, and we will so appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.